You're listening to Earth Lads Roundup. Welcome to the show. This is Earth Lads Roundup. My name is Michael Finelli. I am your host and resident Earth Lad. So we have some very big news to unpack in the headlines section today. Uh, and then the rest, the majority of the show will be a breakdown and debrief of, of course, COP26 in Glasgow. How'd it go? Um, success, failure, somewhere in between. Gotta stay tuned to find out. Uh, but spoiler alert, it was somewhere in between. <laughs> um, and then Finally, we'll finish it off with the the happy part, where I just read you a bedtime story. Just kidding. It's an eco story, obviously, but a happy one to leave you feeling motivated and energized and just put some pep in your step as you go out to be an actively engaged citizen in the world. All right, that's enough. Let's do the headlines. Okay, so just going to go over the two really big national headlines for today. Um, The first being, as of last Monday, November 15th, President Joey B. signed into law the Trillion Dollar Infrastructure Bill. Um, I talked about what was in that uh, pretty thoroughly in episode two, so feel free to go back and listen to that. Um, But I just want to touch on the fact that this is a major win for the climate fight. Uh, You might not realize that because... Um, most many progressives and even liberals in general haven't really given this bill much love, but there is a lot to love in there from an environmental perspective. Uh, so just to name a few aspects, uh, there's money for electric vehicle charging stations, uh, an upgraded power grid so that it can be better able to handle renewable energy, replacing lead pipes like the ones that caused the Flint water crisis, um, and money to clean up hazardous pollution sites and gas wells. And then aside from all of that, uh, you know, the crux of this is traditional infrastructure upgrades to roads, ports, airports, public transit. But all of those things are going to be done with an emphasis on uh, clean, renewable energy and climate change mitigation. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a trillion dollar bill. And regardless of what how you feel about infrastructure improvements, this is um, a good news story. There is a lot of uh, positive stuff in there for climate activism, and this is now passed. This is going into work. So, um, you know, I I think uh, uh, climate activists don't celebrate the victories enough, and and this is one of them. So pat yourself on the back and uh, be happy that uh, some progress is being made. Now, there is a lot more to love in the Build Back Better bill that uh, Nancy Pelosi was finally able to push through the House. It uh, it was it started at three and a half trillion. It's now down to about two trillion, but there's still a lot in there. <laughs> um, that's still a lot of money, even on a national spending scale. Um, so they voted on this one last Friday, the nineteenth. And uh, after an all-night filibuster-esque speech from Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, 
Uh, here's some highlights of that. It was pretty entertaining in case you missed it. Picture America at a swim meet after World War II. We jump into the water. Not only do we win, we dry off before second and third arrive. I can't even afford to test drive a Tesla. And Elon's one of my best friends. You're celebrating it when inflation is at a 31% height. Gas prices. Thanksgiving. A border. <laughs> uh, gas prices. Thanksgiving. A border. Just shouting words. Oh, man. Good stuff. Uh, I, I will say, though, in all seriousness, I, I if that was me, the dude talked for eight and a half hours straight. Like, I, I would be spouting much more nonsensical, incoherent blabber than that if I tried to talk for that long. I, I really baffles me how, how that's possible. I know Pelosi did this a few years ago, too. But, I mean, I don't think they take breaks. I'm pretty sure they're just straight talking. Like, no bathroom breaks, no snacks. I, I would keel over 100%. So, respect, I guess. Um, anyways, uh, they did eventually pass this bill through the house so i just want to note again when you hear coverage about this bill um it's always the social safety net bill that includes child tax credits universal pre-k paid family leave and oh yeah some environmental stuff too i guess um <laughs> that's really disingenuous i mean they always mention not always honestly sometimes there's headlines that don't even they, they just call it the social safety net bill and they don't even mention the climate and that's super disingenuous um so the climate provisions are actually the biggest part of this bill um at about 550 billion dollars um and then of that the biggest part are the tax credits and incentives for um homes consumers as well as businesses to use clean energy and then also to buy uh electric vehicles and bikes uh so that's the most critical component in terms of cutting emissions. But then there's also another great part of that's a methane rule that sets a cap on the amount of methane that can be uh, legally emitted and then uh, charges fees for going over that. And then, you know, there's a bunch of other really great <laughs> climate provisions as well, like the Civilian Climate Corps, which will create jobs to restore and protect natural lands. And there's a small amount of money to protect older forests specifically, uh, like our sequoias in California that we've sadly lost many of in the last couple of years. Um, and then there's a couple other non-climate parts of this that I just want to mention because I, I really like them. Um, so part of the way that they're planning to pay for this is by beefing up the IRS so that they can better crack down on wealthy people who avoid paying taxes. And I just think that's amazing. I've been arguing about this to myself for years. Every time I see something about um, raising taxes on billionaires or whatever, um, I think there's no point in doing that because they're able to find these loopholes and get around it. So hopefully um, this could make a dent in that and make uh, the system work the way it's supposed to. Um, and then also there is a payroll credit for local newspapers and journalists, which I think is amazing, right? Um, anything to help revitalize our uh, so endangered local journalism industry in this country would be great. So yeah, this now goes to the Senate, which is a bit of an uphill battle 
because as we know, it has to win approval from every single Democrat there, which includes request Cole and his stocking Joe Manchin, as well as cinema. So uh, it is expected to get pared down a little bit. But Nancy Pelosi says that she's been in talks with both of them throughout the process, and she is confident that the vast majority of the bill will remain intact. So we will see. All right, that's it for the headlines today. Uh, Let's move on to the bigger picture. All right, so for today's bigger picture, we're going to do a breakdown of what happened in Glasgow at the pivotal UN Climate Conference earlier this month. Um, I'll provide you with some of my major takeaways. But before I get into the details, I, I think it's really important that those of us who report on and discuss climate issues actually acknowledge when progress is made. Um, I, I think that it's really tempting to be pessimistic and just poo-poo any proposal and say, oh, they won't actually do it or, oh, it won't be enough anyways. Um, but those a- attitudes are aren't productive in my mind. Um, you know, I say that because a lot of the headlines around this conference were really, really negative. Um, and many of them coming out before it was even over, you know, with the takeaway that, ah, this is, you know, this is just a waste of time. Um, and, uh, you know, I completely understand where that's coming from because we have seen decades of inaction on this stuff and there's been a lot of lip service and, saying things and not acting on them. But uh, we we need to applaud progress when it happens and show these leaders um, that these are the sort of actions that we want to see and then demand more, right? Um, you know, I know that there's a lot of money in American politics and special interests have way too much influence. However, at the end of the day, we the people are still casting the votes to decide who stays in office and politicians do react to the will of their constituents. So, um, make your voice heard and, uh, celebrate these commitments so that, uh, your leaders are motivated to actually carry them out. Um, all right, now into the details. Okay, so keeping in mind where we were going into this, it was not looking very good. Uh, The total global commitments, the aggregate of what countries had promised, had us on track to increase warming by two to three degrees or more by the end of the century. Um, And despite those really ambitious promises in Paris in 2015, uh, emissions have continued to steadily rise, not fall since then and the too long didn't read of this is that the new goals that have been set are estimated to limit warming to around 1.8 degrees um so that's not enough but it's still a major improvement um and then the key thing to watch and demand as voters is whether governments actually implement the goals that they've set out for themselves and then strengthen those again next year so that we can get it down to that 1.5 degrees that uh, was the goal of Paris and is uh, trying to be kept within reach. So even though the commitments to come out of Glasgow are inadequate, they are still the strongest government commitments for fighting climate change ever. 
you know, and despite what some might argue, countries do actually seem to be taking this seriously now. Um, more than 130, so about two-thirds of the countries, have pledged to reach net zero emissions by 2050, which is, that's the UN benchmark. That's what they say has to happen. Um, yeah, so we didn't, we didn't get to where we need to be with this conference, but if you were expecting this one, two-week climate conference to solve everything, then you probably had too high of expectations. But it did establish several really positive nuggets that I think we can take away. Um, there were several individual agreements for us as uh, concerned citizens to, to latch onto and provide some optimism. So uh, let me talk about a couple of my favorite parts. So maybe my favorite part of this, which sounds weird because it's somewhat abstract, but uh, is the line that requires everyone to come back to the table next year, next November, and provide stronger and more detailed plans uh, on how they're going to cut their emissions by both the end of the decade and then by the middle of the century. So under the Paris Agreement, they were only required to update their plans once every five years. Uh, so I really like the fact that the world's leaders are now obligated to come back to the table after witnessing another year of worsening disasters uh, to step up their pledges because we are on such a short timeline now uh, to halve emissions. <laughs> How do you say that? Halve emissions? To cut them in half <laughs> by the year 2030. So um, yeah, I like that. The, they have to do that within a year. Uh, secondly, this is not actually written into the Glasgow Pact itself, but uh, during the summit, the United States and China came out with a surprise announcement that they were going to work together to do more to cut climate emissions this decade. Um, here's climate envoy John Kerry announcing that. The United States and China have no shortage of differences, but on climate. On climate, cooperation is the only way to get this job done. This is not a discretionary thing, frankly. This is science. It's math and physics that dictate the road that we have to travel. Yeah, so this was a somewhat vague agreement, like much of the language in Glasgow, but the simple fact that China agreed to form a bilateral uh, pact with the U.S. is huge. Um, these two countries have been at a historically low point in their geopolitical relationship, but they were willing to put aside, as he mentioned, their considerable differences, uh, which most people did not think was possible. Right. This has been a, a talking point since Biden came into office. What was he going to do about China? How do you balance um, all of these grievances that we have with them? How do you pressure them uh, while simultaneously working with them on uh, climate change issues? And so this is a notable point of progress. Um, I got to give this one as a point to Joey B., uh, creating this position of climate envoy, getting John Kerry to come out of retirement. Apparently, Kerry's known his Chinese counterpart for over 20 years, and that guy also came out of retirement to take on the position, and the two of them talk almost daily. Um, you know, this is just a huge win for diplomacy. Um, yes, they still have to actually enact policies that cut emissions, but this is really crucial groundwork. 
um, and should be noted for that. All right, so let's run through a few more of those uh, positive takeaways that I mentioned. So for the very first time, the world has called for the end of fossil fuel use. Um, didn't realize that had never happened before, but uh, apparently this is the very first time that there has even been language targeting fossil fuels in one of these agreements. So, hey, that's that's big. Um, that language is still pretty weak. It has caveats that would allow for coal burning if some sort of carbon capture is used and still allows for certain fossil fuel subsidies. But uh, this represents significant movement in the right direction, and it will help steer investments the right way, more importantly. Um, and then more than 100 countries ended up signing on to the Global Methane Pledge, which uh, requires a reduction in methane emissions 30% by the year 2030. Uh, So that's big. We talked about this last time. Uh, Go back and listen to episode three if you need a refresher on why methane is so critical and would be so helpful in uh, reducing emissions and warming in the near term. Uh, And then 130 plus countries pledged to end deforestation by 2030 sounds great that doesn't really seem soon enough to me um i feel like if they loggers were working hard enough they could probably cut down all the trees within (laughs) nine years but uh hey it's a start uh and then like we said next year hopefully we strengthen that move it up even sooner uh and then 40 countries pledged to phase out coal use in the near term but unfortunately those did not include the united states uh do you want to guess why it was because of one person whose name rhymes with Schmosh Mansion. Yep, because Biden didn't want to upset Dirty Cold Joe because he needs his votes. Uh, he didn't sign on to this one. So yet again, we've been thwarted by Joe Manchin. Um, damn, I guess if this is the trade-off for uh, getting him to push through the Build Back Better bill, then fine. Uh, however, the U.S. did agree to stop financing coal overseas, so that's something, I guess. Uh, and 30 countries and six major automakers pledged to work towards phasing out gas and diesel vehicles. So that's something as well. Um, and then kind of a more technical point, um, the conference was able to create rules to better regulate the system of international emissions credit trading. So I don't really like this as a policy in general, but there's a system whereby countries who exceed certain emissions limits are essentially able to pay other countries to cut their emissions to make up for it. Um, I think that's a little ridiculous. Everyone should be cutting their own emissions, but uh, at least supposedly now that system will be better regulated and have less loopholes, etc. Um, but as part of this, uh, countries will now have to take a detailed inventory of their emissions uh, by the year 2024. So that's a good thing because there is a lot of guesstimating happening in that realm right now. And then finally, one overriding theme of COP26 that everyone should be aware of was the dynamic that the countries that have historically emitted the least are feeling the worst effects of climate change. And because of that, the wealthy nations of the developed world have a moral obligation to help those of the developing world, which they have somewhat, uh, but not enough. And that's what 
got a lot of coverage and a lot of the negative press that came out of this is that um, an unwillingness to step up to the degree that is necessary. Um, there were many of the small island nations, which are some of the most at risk from rising sea levels. Um, they had advocates there pushing hard to try to keep the one and a half degree target on the table, which it is still on the table, but just barely. And uh, they definitely did not get uh, everything that they were looking for there. Uh, there was this really controversial loss and damage fund, uh, which essentially would have been a way for the wealthier nations to pay for uh, all of the damage from the natural disasters that the developing world are not able to pay for themselves. And um, it didn't really make it into the, it is technically in the final agreement, but it has no funding mechanism and only ended up getting a single contribution from Scotland for a couple million dollars. Uh, the reason it didn't make it is because of the big historical emitters like the US and the European Union, they simply are not willing to have something like that verbalized. Um, which would set them up to be responsible or liable on a consistent basis. They don't want to establish a precedent, um, which would require them to pay for past and future climate damages. However, there is some good news related to this. Uh, there is funding which helps poorer countries adapt to changes and develop uh, sustainably. But that too has yet to reach the amount that it set out to. It was supposed to be at $100 billion a year by the year 2020. Um, it got close to that. It's it's was at $79 billion as of 2019. So not a total failure there. Um, and also now those countries are urged to double those contributions by the year 2025. So Seeing some progress there, but still a long ways off. So again, the take-home message with Glasgow is that it really comes down to whether the world's leaders actually enact the necessary policies to reach those goals that they've set out for themselves. Um, and this point was really well illustrated in a speech by a Ugandan climate activist named Vanessa Nakate. The truth is that... The atmosphere doesn't care about commitments. It only cares about what we put into it or stop putting into it. Humanity will not be saved by promises. So there it is. The atmosphere does not care about promises. Uh, and it's up to us to hold our leaders accountable now to do what's necessary to prevent suffering and preserve the human species. No pressure, though. Um... Highly recommend watching that entire speech. Really, really powerful stuff. Uh, and with that, we will head into the happy part. All right, congratulations. We have made it to the happy part. Uh, so for today's segment, I bring you a new study out of the University of Georgia, which found that a certain species of mustard plant could be used as jet fuel and it would reduce the carbon emissions of the aviation industry by 68%. Um, and it's a win-win in the sense that this plant called Carinata could be grown in the off-season winters in the American South so that it wouldn't compete with growing foods there uh, during the regular season. And 
it would act as a cover crop, which means that it kind of rejuvenates the soil health and provides all kinds of benefits and things like water quality, biodiversity, and getting rid of weeds and pests. Uh, and with current government subsidies and sustainable fuel tax credits proposed by Joe Biden, this uh, magic mustard fuel could be a realistic alternative to our standard jet fuel. So pretty exciting stuff there. All right, folks, I'd like to close things out today with a message of hope from my muse, the crowd favorite, Sir David Attenborough. In my lifetime, I've witnessed a terrible decline. In yours, you could and should witness a wonderful recovery. That desperate hope, ladies and gentlemen, delicates, excellency, is why the world is looking to you and why you are here. He's talking to you. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening. Everyone's looking to you now. So go save the world. Good luck. Thanks, as always, to Dominic Burnham, who composed the theme music and best part of this show. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.